I want to welcome you this morning. Uh, last week we started a sermon series on Galatians, and we really encourage you. Uh, we provide a daily study guide. Uh, Pastor Justin, who's back there, uh, walks us through uh, the, the passage for the week, and uh, last week we read through the first two chapters of Galatians. You can find that study guide on the website. We also have a Facebook uh, discussion forum, so you can join in conversation with other people at Hillspring. Uh, just, a, I think, a really, really powerful thing. And my goal in this series is to give you um, kind of the background uh, to hopefully you'll be able to under, understand Paul's letter to the Galatians um, on a much greater detail. Today we're going to look at chapter 3 of Galatians. And, you know, Galatians, group of churches in uh, what was Galatia, it's basically modern-day Turkey at this point. And, and the thing for us to get the Galatians were Gentile converts, and, and so Paul had converted, uh, he, he led them all to Christ. Uh, they were not, the point is, they were not Jewish converts. They were Gentile converts, and that means they had no background other than what Paul had given them about um, Israel's God and, and also about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is really key to understand Galatians. And so is this. So Paul wrote this letter. Someone had told the Galatians, he heard this, that, that Paul left out a significant part of the gospel when he taught them about Jesus. And, and they told the Galatians that Paul had watered down the gospel intentionally so it would be easy, more palatable for them, uh, easier for them to embrace. They said Paul was right about Jesus being the Messiah, uh, the Jewish Messiah, because of Jesus now, Gentiles, uh, they're invited to join in the Jewish community. But they said Paul did not tell them that they need to start following the Jewish law if they want to follow Jesus. And even more so, these people, they told the, the, the Galatians that all of the males need to be circumcised if they're going to follow Jesus and if they want to join God's covenant with his special people. In other words, the, these people came to the Galatians. They basically said, you need to convert to Judaism if you're going to follow Jesus. And then a little bit later into Galatians, we, we, it gets even worse because we find that even Peter, the Apostle Peter, has caved in to this pressure and, and said that now Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, that they need to be kept separate. And Paul is just livid at this, right? And we had a, a lot of ground to cover last week. Uh, we didn't really hit on why people would say this stuff in the first place, and I think it's important. So in a nutshell, the, the Romans, they had a relationship, they had a, a deal that they made earlier on with the Jews, and that was, you know, everybody else in the Roman Empire. Everybody believed in multiple gods. And so whenever the Romans would conquer a people, uh, the, the Romans basically said, okay, well, just now you need to add our gods, including Caesar, to the gods that you worshipped. And that really wasn't a big deal for most people, you know, because they had a bunch of gods already, so what's, you know, a couple more? It didn't really matter. But the Jews were different. They believed there was only one God, and this was really central to their understanding of God. They couldn't just add gods in. Their whole concept of God was that there was just one God. And so the, the Romans, they, they'd never really come across this before. And, you know, Jews, they're out in the middle of nowhere anyway, so they worked out a deal with the Jews. Basically, they told Jews, we'll leave you alone, 
will leave you to worship your God if you tell us that you will pray to your God for Caesar and pay his taxes. And that, that was a pretty good idea, you know, and so the Jews agreed and the Romans left them alone, but you can see where this is going, right? So when a growing group of Gentiles affirm a belief in only one God, and somehow they're linked to the Jews, but they hadn't converted to Judaism, the Jews become concerned that the Romans are going to change the deal. So they start to put pressure on the Jewish Christians who thought the perfect answer would be, well, we'll just tell them they're already following the, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, so just, just convert to Judaism. Paul's furious, and that's why he, he just shot off this letter to Galatians. What these false teachers were basically saying, Paul, Paul, Paul believes, negates everything, every reason for the Messiah, nullified his death on a cross. Gentiles had always been free to convert to Judaism. All they had to do was follow Jewish law, and all the males got circumcised, and, and that, that was before Jesus. And that's what the Galatians are, they're telling the Galatians to do. It doesn't make any sense. He says, the false teachers have negated the need for a Messiah. They negated the need for Jesus' death. This makes no sense. But also, and this is the thing I think we miss so often, they're negating the big picture of what was going on, what God was doing in and through Jesus. Because through Jesus, God was bringing about a new age, a new era. So by teaching that the Gentiles, or the Jews for that matter, still had to live under the law and get circumcised, they were still living in what Paul calls in Galatians the present evil age. Not in the age to come. The false teachers are completely negating God's kingdom. Because the reality is, in Jesus' death and resurrection, Gentile and Jew, Paul says, can both live as citizens in King Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom to come. This is what Paul says, that's what he means when he says people are in the Messiah, in Christo. He says they're living in the age to come, the age that was initiated by Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and Paul says this was always God's plan from the, from the outset, going all the way back to Genesis when God called Abram and Sarai and initiated that covenant with Israel back in Genesis. God said they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And remember, he pronounced this very, very special blessing upon them. They would be his special covenant people, a people with a call. And, and they would be blessed to be a blessing to all of the nations in the world. Meaning God would work through them. God would work through their actions, through their lives, to bless other people. They were going to be God's agents in creation. So from the earliest chapters on, in Genesis, it's very obvious, there is a problem in creation, and that's the human condition. On our own, we're rebellious. We're self-centered. We're self-consumed. But God made this covenant with Abraham to address that issue. That God said, I will work through you and through this people Israel to bring hope and to bring healing into the world. 
But from Abraham on, Genesis teaches us that the, the bearers of the promise are part of the problem just as well as everybody else. Because after Abraham's call and his covenant, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, we follow several generations of Abraham's family. And, and, and we find they may be the doctors that are called to heal the world's disease, but God's special people, they're infected with the same disease everybody else is. But through Jesus, Paul says, God brought about this new age. An age where the law is obsolete. And we're living in a time where there's both the present age and the age to come. But we can live in the age to come. So you might be wondering, why did God give the law in the first place? Well, welcome to Galatians 3. That's what it's all about. So, Paul knew the law better than anyone, right? He was a rabbi, Pharisee of Pharisees. He understood following the law, the Torah, kept God's people separate and distinct from any other people in the world. If you follow the Torah, the law, well, you couldn't eat with non-Jews, right? Because your diet was very, very different from Gentiles. And how can you marry non-Jews if you can't even sit down and eat with them? That was part of the, par the purpose. This meant God's people not only stood out, but they stayed together. And the law forced the people who were called to deal with the problem of human sin, forced them to stick together. This was God's plan all along. But the problem, like I said, the doctors were infected with the same disease that everyone else had. So in Galatians, Paul explains that the law was a temporary measure. It was meant to last until the Messiah would come. So the Torah was good, Paul says, but it was always meant to be limited for a very specific time. The Torah was only supposed to be in effect until the Messiah initiated the age to come. And, and Abraham's descendants at that point really would become as numerous as the stars in the sky because Gentiles would join the Jews and all of these. This would be a people who would be blessed to be a blessing in the world. They would all come together as God's special people with the same call pronounced upon Abraham, is the point. All the way back in Genesis. This was God's plan. But these false teachers that have come to the Galatians, they're completely missing the big picture of what God was doing in and through Jesus. Listen to Paul from Galatians 3. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly executed as crucified. In Greek it says, I, I, it sounds like he actually just drew out a cross there in Greek. It's kind of an odd thing, but it's cool. Then he goes on, the only thing I want you to learn from this is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, now you're ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, well, then does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Then he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteous, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. 
Charles Blondin, you may not have heard his name, very famous tightrope walker uh, back in the mid to late 19th century, and, and he had a thing for walking across Niagara Falls. Doesn't everybody not? So he, he just, he loved to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and he did this several times, and then he tried it backwards, and then he kept, you know, he kept walking across it, but every time he added something, like sitting on a stool and eating a meal out in the middle of Niagara Falls. Now, how do you top that? Well, how about carrying across somebody else on your back? So what if halfway across Niagara Falls, the guy on Blennon's back says, hey, you know, I I'm done. I don't trust you at all anymore. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get down, and I'm going to go the rest of the way by myself. Just let me down, I'll take it from here. And, you know, his friends and his family, I mean, they're like, are you out of your mind? How are you going to get across by yourself? But that's exactly what Paul is saying the Galatians would be doing if they got circumcised at this point. You can hear, how are you out of your minds, Galatians? This is crazy. If you go back to the law and if you get circumcised, it's like climbing off the back of the one who's trying to carry you across to safety and walking across the road by yourself. Paul says they've been given two things, God's spirit and now they're the children of Abraham. They didn't become Christian by Jewish law. It was by faith in Christ. Christ's crucified law had nothing to do with it. Why would you go back? Paul says, if you believe the gospel, you are a child of Abraham. Simple as that. It's about faith, not about the law. It was always about faith. And that's why he goes back to Genesis 12. And he says, God called Abram and Sarai to follow him. God told Abraham, if, if I will bless all of the nations through you. All of your descendants. God didn't say where they were going ever if you read the story. He just said, this old, barren, childless couple, I want you to step out in faith and follow me. And Abraham believed. And Abraham had faith. And then three chapters later in Genesis 15, there's a covenant between God and Abraham. This is huge for Paul. Paul, half of Galatians is on on Abraham. Before the covenant, God simply called and Abraham followed. That's all there was. Genesis 12, in a nutshell, Abraham believed God, Abraham had faith. Then the covenant that we find in Genesis 15, that's the formal agreement, right? Abraham and his descendants, numerous as the stars in the sky, they would have this call, but the point is faith preceded the covenant. That was all God asked for from Abraham in chapter 12, just faith. So if you put those two chapters together, 12 and 15 of Genesis, this is Paul's argument. When people have faith in God's call, which is the gospel of Jesus, they're Abraham's true children. Trying to earn it by doing something other than having faith in God's call 
is like climbing off the back of, of a tightrope walker going over Niagara Falls and walking on your own the rest of the way. I mean, faith. Faith is all you need to be God's children. So you may be wondering, why the law in the first place? I mean, wasn't that just kind of a waste of time and energy? Why didn't God just skip that part and send Jesus so everybody could be part of God's people? Well, Paul knew you were going to ask that. And he breaks it down. Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? Paul asks. He says it was added because of transgressions until the offspring who would come to whom the promise had been made and it was ordained through angels by a mediator. Paul says the law was added because of transgressions. There's a lot behind that word and it needs some unpacking. But first, don't miss that Paul asks, why the law? I mean, this is in the middle of several chapters on Abraham. Why the law? You cannot understand Galatians without understanding Abraham's story. Or really all of Genesis. It's behind Galatians. Starting with Adam and Eve. Then all the way up to Abraham. And then the stories of Abraham's descendants, his kids, his children. That takes you all the way to the end of Genesis, right? So Genesis teaches God had a plan in creation. God had a vision for creation. Adam and Eve infected with the human condition. They rebelled. Next chapters, all the way up to Abraham. We, we went through this a couple weeks ago. But, you know, same, cycled the same story of the human condition over and over in rebellion, over and over again. So all the way to Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and Sarah to start a family. A people that God would work through. But it doesn't take long to realize the bearers of the promise, they're part of the problem, Right? From Abraham on, his descendants, Isaac, Jacob, the doctors are infected with the same disease that everybody else has. So Genesis teaches Israel was called to address the human condition. But if you follow Genesis, like I say, it's very clear God's special people are just as human as everybody else. Abraham's children, they fall short over and over and over again. Just like Abraham did, honestly, you know. The Greek word translated in Galatians 3.19 is transgressions. It's parabasis, and and it's an important word, parabasis. And and it means stepping over a line. Which is very different than the word we translate as sin, which is hamartia, which is missing the mark. Stepping over a line versus missing a mark. The law, Paul says, provided a line. So you could clearly see what was God's will and what was not God's will. And that's a very different thing than missing the mark. I mean, you wouldn't even know what the mark is if you, you know, without the power basis. Paul uses the term in Romans, and I think it helps clarify. Romans 4.15, he says, where there is no law, there is no parabasis. That's usually translated as violation or a transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, there is no violation. He's saying, if you don't know where and what that line looks like, how can it be a violation? How can it be a transgression? I mean, you wouldn't even know you stepped over it. But in Romans, Paul says the law was given to turn sin into parabasis. 
Sin needed to be shown what it was so it could be dealt with, is what he's saying. Which is the exact same thing he says in 319 through 23. The law was necessary to deal with the problem of sin. It was given so we could recognize it, so we could see it, so we would know it's there. Sin is about breaking a relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with people. I mean, think about it. First half of the Ten Commandments are dealing with our relationship with God. Second half of the Ten Commandments are dealing with our relationship with other people. This is a sidebar, but you know, remember Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Well, he narrowed the ten down to two, right? He said the first is love God, and then the second, love your neighbor. First half of the Ten Commandments about loving God. Second half of the Ten Commandments about loving your neighbors. Break any of them, and relationships are damaged is the point. So Paul says the point of the law was to provide a line so people could understand. Otherwise, who would know what's God's will and what wasn't God's will? But the bigger point of 19 is, is the second half. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made. And it was ordained through angels by a mediator. So the Greek for offspring is actually seed. And this word comes up over and over and over in this section with Abraham. Because whenever Paul says Abraham's descendants, is really saying in Greek, Abraham's seed. Abraham's seed are the ones that will come. They're the ones to whom the promise is made. It's actually singular. Jesus is that seed. Torah was given for a temporary purpose. Once the seed appears, Torah is over. The law is over. So don't lose track of the big picture here. Rival teachers have come right, to Galatians, and told them they need to go back to the law. Paul's saying it was always God's plan that the law would be temporary until the Messiah came and would free people from the law. Then Jew and Gentile, he says, would inherit this blessing together, the blessing of Abraham. Then the people together would be called to cure the disease. But rather than the doctor being infected by the disease, they would now be the cured doctors called to cure the disease of the world. The law was necessary to clearly see the disease so it could be cured once and for all. N.T. Wright has an awesome analogy for the, the purpose of the law and explaining the temporary need for the law. He said the law is like a, a booster for a space rocket. And it's necessary to break the altitude of, you know, Earth's altitude. But once it gets up there, what happens? The rocket's just jettisoned. Booster falls away, not because it was bad, but because it was a good thing and its job's over. The law is like that booster. It was good and it was necessary, but now its job's done. That's what Paul meant when he says angels gave the law. He's saying this was a good thing. God gave a gift through the law. Moses, the mediator between God and the people, went received the law. Moses' job was never to bring the Gentiles into the covenant. Moses' job, what, was to offer the law, which kept God's people separate from everyone else. And then the thing about the law was, if you really follow the law, you're separate. 
Like I said earlier, if you follow that law, I mean, you, you can't eat with non-Jews. So the diet was different. You never intermarried with other religions. It kept your religion pure. This meant your kids would grow up to be Jews. They would live under Jewish law. It was meant so the parabasis would be highlighted is the point. They were the only people keeping the line because they were the only people who recognized the line. Everybody else missed the mark. They didn't even know it was Mark in the first place. The law was good for a time and a purpose, is the point. Until the Messiah came, changed it all. That's what Jesus did, because he took the curse upon himself, healed the disease, so we would not need the law. But that's not all. Because he brought everyone together, Jew and Gentile alike, male and female alike, all together, no more division but the people are telling the Galatians they need to go back to law. They're trying to force everybody back into the division. Gentiles here, Jews there, males here, females there. Go back to separating, which means go back to the evil age. Paul says that was never God's plan. God desires one single family, Jew and Gentile together, who have the same blessing that God gave Abraham. Blessed to be a blessing in the world. Listen to Galatians 3, 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned, guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. So Paul has another image for the role of the law here, and it's brilliant. In Greek, it says it's paedagogos. King James translated that as schoolmaster. The NIV translated as guardian, and the NRSV translated as disciplinarian. And in Paul's world... Paedagogos was actually a slave with a specific task. They were a slave who were supposed to take care of kids before and after school. And it was their job to make sure the kids didn't get any trouble. Basically, they weren't the parent, they weren't the teacher. They were the babysitter. Paul is saying the law was the babysitter. That was the purpose of the law until the coming of Christ. The law was in charge until the Messiah would come and God's single family would come into existence. And the people would be marked by faith, not by law. So in verse 25 he says, we no longer need a babysitter because Christ has set us free. We're grown up. The Messiah's death has overcome the present evil age, launched the age to come, the new creation. And I love the last four verses. 
Paul's going to develop this more in chapter 4. We'll see next week. But it's really, it's his vision for the church, which is what Galatians is really about. And it should be ours as well. 26, 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of faith, through God through faith. As many as are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. That's what life in the age to come looks like. This is important. So how do we know we're Christ? Well, Paul says we're all baptized in Christ. And then we put him on and our divisions go away. This is life in the age to come. No divisions. No Greek, no Jew, no male, no female, no slave, no free. Life in the age to come is about being one in Christ Jesus. Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise to be blessed to be a blessing in the world. Archaeologists tell us baptistries in, in the early, early, early church, they were, they were like a sarcophagus. They were like a coffin. And, and you, would, you would enter into the water, and symbolically you would die with Christ, and then you would rise as a new creation. The next uh, kind of generation of baptistries, they actually had a cross set in the floor, and so you descended down one arm of the cross, then you would pass through the cross. Symbolically, they were going passing through the cross with Christ and then rising the other side, a new creation. All unified is the point. Messiah's people. Everyone in Christ. This is throughout Paul's letters. You know, one, I, we miss this, but the letters themselves are essays about this. No Jew, no Greek, no slave, no, so no free, no male, no female. No division. I mean, life in the age to come means no Jew or Greek. And, and I hope you see by now, that's Galatians, right? No Jew, no Greek. That's Galatians in a nutshell. Life in the age to come means no slave or free. That's Paul's short letter to Philemon, if you know the letter at all. Paul wrote to a slave owner about a slave saying, you're both children of Christ. And I wish we had time to talk about slavery in Paul's day. We don't. But for now, life in the age to come means no slave or no free. They're equal. And life in the age to come means no male or no female. And I guess I wish we had time to talk about Paul and women. There's a ton of misunderstanding, and I get why, believe me. But Paul is saying there is no division between the sexes in the age to come. Now, what do you think about Galatians? Paul argues we no longer need circumcision. Well, that was kind of a sign for males. They were set apart. So in Galatians, Paul is saying, no, circumcision is no longer necessary because now it's about baptism and faith for males and for females. That's the age to come. But no vision between male and female, that's really Paul's letter to the Romans. I don't know if you know much about Romans. It's actually my favorite of Paul's letters. Paul dictated the letter to the, someone to carry and read to the church at Rome. 
because he wanted to get their approval. It was very, very important for him. He wanted to go, he says in Romans, to a mission trip to Spain. That was the main and most important thing he wanted, and he wanted them to support his trip to Spain, financial as well as spiritual. And so part of the reason he dictated the letter to Rome was so that they would approve of his gospel. And back then, when you sent a letter to somebody, you found someone who would travel with that letter. Not only would they travel with that letter, but, but they worked with that person to read the letter for them. They would work on the phrasing, they would work on the, the emphasis together, so it would really sound like it was from the author. Spain was Paul's baby, and he really wanted to go there. So he would have taken his time to find his number one guy to not only take this letter to the church at Rome, but to read it for him. And who did he pick? Well, listen to Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in St. Cray, so that you might welcome her in the name of the Lord as is fitting for the saints. Help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Now, far too often, the term that Paul uses for Phoebe is translated not as deacon, but as servant or as a slave. Now, a deacon is a title that means a servant, but for years they would translate deacon for males, and then when they got to this part in Romans, all of a sudden it was servant for Phoebe. Romans 16 has a list of male and female names that are leaders in the church at Rome. And there's a bunch of females, including Junia, who Paul actually says is an apostle of the church. That's the term he uses for himself. Neither male nor female. Doesn't mean we're genderless, and Paul definitely had understandings of categories there. But Paul says we're all one, is the point, in Christ Jesus. We're all equal in his family. That is life in the age to come. No Jew, no Greek, no slave, no nor free, nor male, nor female. There was an ancient rabbinic prayer that Paul would have known well, and you probably have heard it. And the rabbi would thank God every single day that he wasn't born a Gentile, that he wasn't born a slave, and that he wasn't born a woman. Paul would have known that prayer. And he's saying that is no longer relevant in the age to come. Jew, Gentile, slave, male, free, female. Life in the age to come means we're all one in Christ. And we all have a call. We all have a purpose. We have inherited a promise. Uh, incidentally, both male and female share that inheritance where back in that world, an inheritance was just reserved for the sons in the Jewish world. And this inheritance is Abraham's call. This inheritance is Abraham's blessing. We are God's children. We are Abraham's seed. The people called to be blessed, to be a blessing in the world, that's the church. Ever since Martin Luther, when people have read Galatians, you know, they solely focus on one question, that's how do I get saved? 
Am I saved by doing, the, doing things or am I saved by faith and faith alone? And, and that just plagued Luther. And he was a Hebrew scholar. He was a monk. He was a Hebrew professor, though, really. And, and, and it, he did that because he was totally focused on being right with God. You know, Luther, Luther could only think in terms of how he failed God. There were stories he would come out of the confessional and then he'd walk 10 paces and then he'd forget a sin that he'd just committed and so he'd have to go back and reconfess. And finally his confessor said, Luther, I absolve you. Just go, go commit a real sin so you know what it feels like. And he was just like paranoid about it. So when we read Galatians, all we hear is you can't be you can't earn your salvation by works, right? Which is totally true, just by faith. Totally true. But what I want you to hear, we're missing so much of what Paul has to say in Galatians when that's all we focus on. In Galatians, Paul is stressing that Christians have inherited Abraham's call, his, his blessing because of Jesus. This was God's plan all along. The church is the answer to the human condition. The thing that divides us from God and from each other, all the way back to that Garden of Eden, the church is called to unify it all. Paul never would have understood divisions in the church, how the world today has become so divided, you know, over politics. We talked about this last week. You know, I love the United States. I am proud, I am thankful of my citizenship. I have a degree in U.S. history. I mean, there's several back, but I love our country. I am not going to Washington, D.C. when I die. <laughs> or Wall Street, for that matter, right? I'm going to go to with Jesus. I'm not going to take my stuff. I'm not going to take my bank account with me. I'm going to be in the kingdom because that's what matters. That's life in the age to come. Paul would never get our divisions. I mean, and, and we get so focused on our stuff, on our money, on our politics, and far too many churches, you know, and far too many Christians are using the gospel for their political agenda right now. They see the gospel as a, a way to push their party line. That's wrong. I mean, not only would Paul have never understood that, he'd be horrified at the way the church has become divided. Paul says unity is one of the signs of community. But far too many churches are marked by division. And I am so proud of this church. And I am so honored to be one of the pastors here. You know, at Hillspring, we are inheritors of Abraham's blessing. We are going to be a beacon of hope in the world. We are going to be a voice for those who have no voice. You know, last week we had our fifth Sunday offering, and, and all the way back, uh, you know, one of the first uh, good things for me that came out of the pandemic was, you know, we, we decided every fifth Sunday we were going to allocate 100% of our offering to just benevolence and um, to several things here locally and then our Honduran ministry. And, and you know, we started, like April said, with the... the um, food dispersal, the, the mobile market over in East Kennewick. And I think she said we have 32 of them now. That's amazing. You know, last week you gave $15,000 to benevolence, just beyond ourselves, no strings attached. And, you know, we'll send $1,000 to Grace Clinic. We'll send $1,000 to Mirror Ministry every month. We've been doing that. But also supporting mobile market. We're supporting um, Honduras. 
our total so far since we've been doing this, it's, it's like almost $300,000. It's amazing. But that's not all. You know, we continue. I was so proud about a week and a half ago, we had our treat and trunk over in Eastgate. And, and it was phenomenal, you know, just watching the kid after kid. The amount of kids that were there was crazy. We started this Eastgate program years ago. And this last couple years, we've been integrating kids from Eastgate with our youth. Uh, they, a bunch of them went to Montana this last summer all together, and they're in youth group all together. And this last Wednesday night, we had a prayer gathering, and it was, it was so awesome. We had all these kids back there from East Kennewick, and they've never experienced anything like that. And they come for our meal. We have a shared meal Wednesday night. And I, I just... That's what being blessed to be a blessing is all about. Reaching out and, and experiencing life with people, without divisions, without separation, without barrier. That's what being part of the community, the covenant community is all about. This is our call. I'm so excited, like April said, in a couple of weeks we have our all-church um, meeting and, and like she said we moved to this morning so that we can all celebrate together we have some amazing things that i want to start sharing with you right now i just want you to be praying um we'll talk about this in the weeks to come but we're we're developing a community center over in east kennewick and we're in the discernment stage right now um what god is calling us to do but our hope is really just to Break the barriers and experience Abraham's blessing together. So I want to ask you to start praying for that community and for this, this nascent building. I just think it's going to be an amazing experience for all of us. On our first Sunday of the month, we, we share communion together, and it's just perfect. I almost forgot, honestly. But it's just perfect for, for talking about unity, talking about Paul. The story of the cross was anything but a story of unity, right? The night before, Jesus gathered his friends for a meal. And they had betrayed him. And they would betray him. And they were, they were sitting down for the Passover meal. The Passover was just, it was, it was a meal of remembrance. How God had set the slaves free. That was their heritage. But Jesus was saying in that meal, this isn't just a memory. This is something that happens right now. There was a couple elements for the Passover, and Jesus really picked up two: the, the loaf of the Passover and the blood of the or the, the wine of the Passover. And, and what the loaf was, so they would remember. God called the Israelites, and, and they weren't even supposed to wait for their bread to rise; they were just supposed to go. God calls you go, just like Abraham's faith. But the other thing 
was the wine of the Passover. And it was, they're supposed to remember, God had told them to take a branch of hyssop and dip it in the blood of the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, and to paint it over their door frames. And then the angel of death would come and it would pass over, was the point. The Hebrew homes, that, that God would save them through this blood of this lamb. Jesus is there with his betraying friends. And he lifted the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. It's broken because of division. It's broken because of pain. It's broken because of hurt. It's broken because of loss. It's broken for our anxieties. It's broken for our shame. It's broken for our memories. It's broken because we are broken. And Jesus says, I will break for you. And then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. The meal of memory became the meal of hope. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for this gift of bread and the cup. Lord, transform it. That through these symbols, we might be the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Pour out your spirit upon us gathered here. Lord, call us that we might be wounded healers in this world. In your son's name we pray. Amen.